This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Heavenly Father, we thank You tonight for bringing us here, giving us this time together. Lord, we do uh, thank You for the opportunity to bring needs uh, before You. And as always, Lord, we ask for Your wisdom in serving uh, these that are on the list that have been mentioned here tonight and also others, uh, Lord, that You send across our path. We pray for them, for Your grace, comfort, strength, and Lord, for those who don't know You, we pray especially for them uh, to come to the knowledge of Christ. Lord, in our study tonight, we ask for Your direction. We ask for the leading of the Holy Spirit. I ask that You enable me to speak the message You would have delivered and Give all of us ears to hear. Open our understanding. Sanctify us by Your Word. For our good and for Your glory. In Christ's name, Amen. Alright, if you would turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Well, a lot of times I start by asking, just, just for reminder's sake, asking uh, what the uh, key verse is. And Brother Ron already alluded to it earlier. <laughs> Anybody remember where it is? 3.15, that's right. One more time, we'll, uh, not just one more time, but uh, once again we'll look at this before we move on. 1 Timothy 3.15, but if I am delayed, I write so that, and this is why I'm calling it the key verse, Paul uh, tells us here his reading, his reason for writing this, uh, this letter. I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So there it is. I write so that you may know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. Not, not, again, not house of God in the sense of a building, but house of God in the sense of family. Paul wants Timothy and the church at Ephesus and by implication all of us to know how to conduct ourselves, how to act in the household of God as the family of God, which is, that is the house of God is, now he's defining it, the house, household of God is the church, the ecclesia is the word there, the called out ones of the living God, the pillar of Again, the church is, the house of God is the pillar and ground of the truth. And that's gonna, uh, well, that's, that's been running theme all the way through here. We're, we're the called out ones of God. We are the, uh, family, the household of the living God. That's good. That's good, good news. 
the family of God. And so Paul says, I'm writing to you, Timothy, so that you may know how to act. And I know I've told you this before, but it's just always helpful to me, so I'll tell myself again, okay, and y'all can listen in. Um, but I always liked uh, Charlie Hughes, uh, and he wasn't even talking about this, but it just, it just made me think of this verse. Charlie Hughes, Charlie Hughes was a member of our uh, Thursday morning group, uh, and uh, he, I've heard him talk several times because he was rowdy as a teenager, and uh, his mother would tell him, uh, that's not how Hughes act. Hughes don't act like that. <laughs> so so this that's the negative form. You know, Hughes don't act like that. Here's the positive form. Here's how you ought to act as the household of God. So that's what Paul's doing. He's telling us how Christians act. All right, tonight we're going to pick up in verse 11, chapter 6, verse 11. And Paul is specifically talking to Timothy here, but again, I would say, um, well, two things. By way of implication, and you could take this, and, and I've heard this done, um, you could take this and narrow it to preachers, and there's great application here in that, uh, in that regard, because Timothy is an elder at Ephesus. In other words, he's a pastor at Ephesus. And so uh, the instruction that Paul is, is uh, giving Timothy here is by implication applicable to all preachers, all pastors. Um, verse 11, But you, O man of God, and he's specifically talking to Timothy as a pastor, but I don't see the need to limit it uh, to that. In other words, again, I think it's uh, correct to say that um, by implication, the instruction that Paul is going to give Timothy here is uh, applicable to all Christians, because he's just giving him, uh, we might say, general instruction concerning uh, godliness, which, which again has been a running theme through here. In Paul instructing the church, Timothy and the church, on how to act, um, you could sum it up with that word, couldn't you? Godliness. He's, he's been telling them this, this is this is what uh, you're to be: godly, God-like. And so he's uh, given as a foundation for that all the way through here, sound doctrine. So we've talked quite a bit about that, how sound doctrine and godliness go hand in hand. The foundation for, for uh, godliness is sound doctrine. Godliness is basically um, sound doctrine being lived out. So it's, so it's all about believing the right things, you know, in Timothy's case, in any pastor or preacher's case, teaching the right things. And then all of us, um, not only believing the right things, but doing the right things. And so that's, that's what Paul is saying. I'm right, writing these things to you so you may know how to conduct yourself. I'm giving you sound doctrine. And uh, as we saw last week, uh, one reference he, uh, in, uh, yeah, let's see, what verse was that? It was just a few verses back. He makes specific reference to the words, that's verse 3, uh, the words of the Lord Jesus. So there's a good uh, definition of sound doctrine. Verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the teaching which accords with godliness. So, so sound doctrine, wholesome words, the words of our Lord Jesus, 
um, are consistent with godliness. So this teaching Paul is giving Timothy is consistent with godliness. This teaching that Paul is instructing Timothy to carry on is all about godliness. Alright, verse 11. We're just, we're just going to read two verses here. <clears throat> but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So, uh, there's, uh, well, there's the part of Paul's instruction we're going to cover tonight. We're going to look at it tonight. I mean, of course, that's not the end of it. But here, again, he's focusing in specifically on Timothy. You, O man of God, good reminder there for Timothy <laughs> of, his, of his calling, his, his function, his purpose. You're God's man. You're God's man, and essentially what he's going to go, go on to say is um, that's, that's what you've got to act like. You've got responsibility as God's man um, to do these things, to, to, to uh, avoid certain things, in fact, flee from them is the word he uses, and then to go after certain things as God's man. Again, as I said, by implication, uh, great instruction for all Preachers, all pastors, but I again would take it further and say for all Christians. You, O man of God, you, O woman of God, flee these things. Now, what things is he talking about fleeing? Well, um, the unsound doctrine that he's been talking about all the way through the book. Um, the greediness that he talks about in the previous verses. The attempt to make... Uh, Godliness, a means of gain. The desire, verse 9, the desire to be rich. Um, the discontent. Verse, uh, verses um, 6, 7, and 8. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. You know, I really haven't, didn't last week spend a lot of time on those verses, and, and uh, I'm not going to back up, at least my intentions are not to, not to back up tonight. Um, but uh, it's it's hard to overemphasize those verses. I mean, what Paul has, has said there is, is uh, of course, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is so profound, um, has so many implications, important implications for the Christian life. He's talking about being content with where God has placed you and what God has given you. And Paul himself said he had learned to do this so that he could uh, abound or he could be abased. I heard a preacher say one time, well-known preacher, uh, television preacher, heard him say one time, I've been rich and I've been poor and I like rich better. 
Well, we all understand that, don't we? But Paul is saying, and I think uh, sincerely so, that he could do either one. Because either way, no, let me let me restate that. He could do either one and be content. In one sense, anybody could do either one, right? I mean, you may be forced into a situation, but um, he could do either one and be content. He says, "I, I have learned." How to, how to be a base, and I've learned how to abound. I've learned in whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. And he's, he's passing that blessedness on to Timothy now. Be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now that's something to pursue. Godliness with contentment. So, um, the discontent, the desire to be rich, all of those things, all of the other things that have come into play as we've been moving along through the, through the book um, that are characteristic of, of uh, false doctrine, unsound doctrine, like verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise, and the word there means... Uh, uh, Doctrine of a different nature, something other than. It's the word heteros, where we get our, uh, for example, our word heterosexual, um, different sexes. So it's, it's a doctrine of another nature. Paul says if anybody uh, teaches that, you, you distance yourself from them. That's what he's telling Timothy now. Flee those things. Verse 11. You, O man of God, flee. So... Here's a picture of the Christian in these next couple of verses, running, <laughs> running, and and that's a good description of the Christian life. You're you're always on the run. Heard, uh, 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 well, I can't quote him verbatim, but I think it was, it was John MacArthur one time say that that the, that the Christian life consists of running, and, and we see it in this verse right here, running from and running after. You, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness. So he's saying, flee the things of this world that would ensnare you, like the desire to be rich in verse 9. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. This, This word... Um, this uh, word meaning this verse. This verse comes to mind often. For example, uh, you know, I hear hear people at work um, discussing what they're going to do with the money when they win the Powerball. Okay. <laughs> now, now a lot of that's lighthearted and and uh, you know jokes about it and all that kind of thing. Uh, but 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 you know, I have thought of this though. You know, I've heard it said. I guess this is true. I've heard it said um, j- just. Speaking statistically, you've got a better chance of getting struck by lightning than uh, than winning the lottery. And the interesting thing is, I don't hear a lot of people making preparation for getting struck by lightning. You know, um, they don't think about it that much. But they they make all kinds of at least mental preparation of what they're going to do with the money when they win the lottery. At any rate. Um, most people don't think in these terms, and I would say most Christians don't, we don't think like this, the desire to be rich. 
is a snare. And it causes people to fall into temptation and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now, let me add this too. They don't just think I'm picking on people who... uh, who uh, are playing the lottery because uh, this disturbs me even more, really. In in our country, um, well, I I would say this way. If you think on a uh, global level, you think about the condition of people around the world, I would say that... um, I probably don't know anybody that's poor. And you probably don't either. In other words, most people in this country, and I would venture to say everybody in this room right now, is rich by the standards of of the whole world. And I think by the standards of this book, by, by what Paul is talking about here. We're there. We, we not only have food and clothing. Paul says, you know, you want to be content with food and clothing. We not only have food and clothing. We've got comfortable beds. We've got comfortable clothes. We've got heaters. We've got air conditioning. We've got cell phones. We've got televisions. Nice houses. Nice cars. We're rich. And, and again, even if you take the Bible out of the picture, if, if you um, compare us to the rest of the world, we're rich. We're rich. Yeah. A friend of Matt's, um, Lee mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good example too. Yeah. 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 Yep. Luxury and uh, well, like I say, we're rich. I, I was listening. To some, I wish I could remember the figures. I should have uh, written it down. But I was just listening to something the other day. Most, most of the world, most of the people in the world live way below what is the equivalent to say twenty thousand dollars. A year. Some of them far, far, far below that. Millions of people out there. You know, really. <laughs> it, in all seriousness, and one reason I bring this up, um, we're, we're not we're not going there tonight. But uh, look at verse 17 just for a moment. 
Command those who are rich in this present age, and again, I would say that is us, folks. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. He's, he's talking to us, people who are rich in this world. Be ready to give. Um, lay up, essentially what he's saying is lay up treasures in heaven, not on this earth. Um, that's That in, in all seriousness is something to, to be doing a lot of praying and thinking about. How to spend money. How to... Um, how to live. You know, how many luxuries do we need? How many things could we get rid of? Not just for the sake of getting rid of them, but for the sake of, of channeling the money somewhere else where there's real need. For missions, for example. Or, or even evangelism at home or whatever. But there, there are millions of hurting people in the world. And we're rich. We're rich. So, Paul says to Timothy, flee these things. Flee these things. In fact, in another place he tells Timothy, uh, a good soldier that warreth does not entangle himself with the cares of this world. You, you stay focused on the battle. You stay focused on the cause. So he tells Timothy, run! Don't, don't be overcome by the world and the things of this world. Don't be overcome by greed by wrong-headed desires, flee. Run for your life. That's what he's saying. You who are rich in this world, be rich in good works so that you may lay hold of eternal life. And this very thing he's fixing to tell Timothy here as well in verse 12. Flee these things because they're dangerous. They're distractions. Why is it that a good soldier does not entangle himself in the cares of this life? Because he'll wind up losing the war if he loses focus. I remember talking to a friend at work. He was he saw com combat in Vietnam and he left a, uh, <clears throat> if I remember correctly, he and his wife got married when, when he returned, I believe. <clears throat> I think I have that right. But at any rate, they were already together and so he had to leave her to go to Vietnam and I I just said something to him about, you know, that had to be awfully hard. And he said, yeah. He said, but uh, when I was over there, I couldn't think about that. He said, man, you get killed out there. you you, you got to stay focused on what you're doing. So I couldn't, I couldn't think about her and all that. Spent a lot of time doing that. He's fighting a war. That's what Paul is saying. So Paul says, flee these things, Timothy, and pursue righteousness. So he's running from things, the entanglement of, of, entanglement of this world. And, and hear what he's saying here. He's not just talking about certain things that are uh, you know, considered taboo, culturally taboo. He's talking about attitudes, desire to be rich. He's talking about mindset, greed, thinking godliness is gain. These are the things Paul's saying run from. Wrong doctrine. Flee these things, Timothy. 
Isn't it amazing how, how we, uh, we tend to focus on particular things, you know, exactly the opposite of what Paul says, for example, in Colossians. Touch not, taste not, handle not. That's what we do. But the Scripture, Jesus, here, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, goes straight for the heart. If you get your thinking right, your actions will be right. And so that's what he's concerned with. Get your thinking right. Flee these things. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. John says, for whoever loves the world is an enemy of God. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You, you can't do it. Any man having put his hand to the plow and then looking back, Jesus said, is not worthy of me. That's a strong statement. One of the strong, to me, one of the strongest passages along those lines in the New Testament um, is three words. Three words from the mouth of Jesus. Remember Lot's wife. So, Paul says, flee these things, Timothy, because they'll destroy you and pursue these things. So, he's still talking about running, right? So, the Christian is always running. You're either running from things that will harm you or you're running after things that are good for you. So, behind us, we have these wrong-headed attitudes and desires and lusts. Wrong thinking, which leads to wrong actions. The world and love for the world. That's behind us and the picture is as though it were pursuing us. And Paul doesn't say, you know, stand and resist. In this analogy, he says, flee. It's just an incredible picture to me. It's the same thing that he says about um, about uh, illicit Sexual activity. Flee! Don't mess with it. Run. And run after or pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. So, we're running away from the world and running after godliness. If I can sum it up, I know he uses that word in there, but I I would still say, if you sum it all up, you could probably use that word, godliness. In fact, these first two, righteousness and godliness, um, are hard for me to uh, to separate in, in my mind. It, it, I, I think that the two terms work in a complementary uh, fashion. So, so you just get the fullness of what Paul is saying. Because how would you differentiate between righteousness and godliness? Except to say um, that godliness consists of righteousness, right? So there's some distinction there. So what, what is Paul saying? Flee these things, Timothy, that we've already named, and pursue righteousness. What is, what is righteousness? Well, I would say he's, what he's not talking about here uh, is forensic righteousness, like Paul's talking about in Romans. He's, he, in other words, he's not talking about the imputed uh, righteousness of Christ to our account. He's talking here, he's using the term, and, and you all have heard me mention this before, what I term uh, practical righteousness. So he just means do what's right. Flee what's wrong. Run from it. Run away. 
and pursue what is right. Righteousness. Let me uh, give you that same idea from the mouth of another man. John MacArthur uh, commenting on this word righteousness here. It means to do what is right in relation to both God and man. The righteousness Paul describes here is not Christ's righteousness imputed to us at salvation, but holiness of life. God's man is known for doing what is right. His is a lifestyle marked by obedience to God's command. So, uh, MacArthur says it's doing what is right, or he uses the phrase... uh, Holiness of life. Holiness of life. Uh, Marvin Vincent calls it moral rectitude. Just doing what is right. Integrity of life. Paul is saying, pursue that. And again, we've been seeing that all the way through the letter, haven't we? It's what Paul's been saying. Godliness. You've got to uh, have doctrine that accords with godliness. So, you've got right teaching, sound teaching, and right action. So, Paul says, pursue righteousness, Timothy, and pursue godliness. Do what's right. And how do we do that? By being like God. You remember the little definition I gave you of godliness? Anybody? Godlikeness. God-likeness. And you see why? It, 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 as I was saying a moment ago, it is so, it's almost like a synonym for righteousness. Because God defines righteousness. He is righteousness. And so, to be like Him is to be righteous. So, pursue righteousness. Pursue God-likeness. That's where we're headed. John said, you know, we don't know what we what we'll be, what we'll be like, but we know this. When he appears, we'll be like him. Amen. For we shall see him as he is. We'll be like him. So pursue it. Pursue it now. Pursue righteousness, that is, do what's right. Pursue godliness, godlikeness. Pursue faith. And, and the definition I like for that is just trust. To me, that's, that's the, best, the best word to describe the biblical definition of faith. And I use it a lot because nowadays when people say faith, they, they, they just mean all manner of things. And, uh, uh, of course, there's nothing wrong with the word faith. Like I say, it's just the, it's just the meanings that people put to it. But I think the best uh, definition or description of biblical faith is trust. That's what the Bible is telling us to do all the way through. Trust God. Trust God. Jesus said, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Believe God, believe also in Me. He's saying, trust God and trust Me. Trust God. In Hebrews 11, you've got a whole the roll call, heroes of the faith, men... Women who trusted God. So much so that they would leave their 
homes and their kin, to go to places they'd never heard of, never seen, just because God said, do it. Or so much so that they would confront kings and nations and preach God's Word, just because God said, do it. And they were persecuted. They were sawn in two, says. Lived in caves because they trusted God. And Paul, Paul says, pursue this, Timothy. You, you need to run after faith. Pursue faith. Now, everybody in here that has all the faith you need, raise your hand. Pursue it. Pursue it. Go hard after it. It's, it's a goal uh, to, be, uh, to be grasped, to be obtained. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love. Love. Pursue love. And boy, this is the motivator for, for everything we do. I mean, if we're rightly motivated. Love. And we could ask the same question. Who, who has all the love that you need to have? Who in here is manifesting plenty of love? Well, I'm not. Paul says, pursue it. Pursue it, Timothy. Um, 1 Corinthians 14.1 Pursue love. There in the midst of talking about spiritual gifts and giving instruction to the church of how they are to uh, uh, function in a different way, you know, how the gifts are to operate and so forth. Right in the middle of all that discussion, Paul says, pursue love. Pursue love. You, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance. Endurance. Hupomone is the word there. I know the King James says patience. Um, a lot of times... Uh, uh, People tend to get, I think, a little confused over that uh, translation. I've heard people say, for example, um, because Romans 5 says, Tribulation worketh patience. That means produces. Tribulation produces patience. And so you hear people say things like, uh, Whatever you do, don't pray for patience <laughs> because, because you'll get tribulation. Because Scripture says tribulation produces patience. No, what it, what it, the meaning there is it produces endurance. Endurance. I remember one time Brother Ray was saying that a lot of them happened into different people in the church and he said, He didn't mind it, he was just trying, Where is mine? God, where is mine? And the next thing you know, this is how work fell apart. And he said, Okay, God, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't understand what he had not suffered through any of that. Yeah. Wondering where is mine? And God gave it to me. So endurance, and again, Paul says, pursue it. Pursue endurance. And by the way, it, it does say in, in Romans, tribulation produces endurance. Now, in Paul's mind, there's no question that every Christian is going to suffer tribulation because he says that. All those who live godly in this world shall 
suffer tribulation. So, so he's telling Timothy here, pursue endurance. You, you want to endure. Remember when we went through Hebrews? That, that was like the main theme in the book of Hebrews. Endurance. You are in need of endurance, the writer of Hebrews says. And Paul is saying to Timothy, a pastor, pastor at Ephesus, good pastor. I mean, Timothy, Timothy was a godly man. And Paul's telling him in, in, a, in different wording, but essentially the same, you're in need of endurance. Not, not because he's, uh, not because Timothy was about to walk away from the faith or something like that, but he's just, he's just telling Timothy, there's more tribulation coming. You need more endurance. Pursue it. Persevere. Persevere. Endure. And gentleness. Gentleness. Boy, there's, a, there's another one that, uh, at least speaking for myself, I know, and I'm, and I'm way short on all these, but uh, love, gentleness, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's, if, if the Holy Spirit is in us, He produces gentleness. And yet, Paul says to Timothy, pursue it. These are things that you've got to run after. The world's coming after you. And if you stand still, if you take a passive approach, you decide you're not going to run from and you're not going to run for... You're not in a vacuum and you're not in a, in a neutral environment. And if you take that approach, the world's going to overtake you. That's why Paul says run. Flee. Flee these things. And pursue these things. Now, gentleness almost just doesn't seem like it goes with this next phrase. Fight the good fight of faith. How can you fight and be gentle? Now, that could conjure up some funny... Uh, Pictures in your mind, couldn't it, on the battlefield? Gentle soldiers. <laughs> but, but here when he says fight the good fight of faith, he's not talking about fighting other people. When he says gentle, he is. When he says love, he is. Pursue love, meaning that you want that to manifest in your life. You want to be loving towards other people. Loving toward fellow man, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. And when he says, pursue gentleness, he has the same thing in mind. You want to be gentle toward your fellow man. So when he says, fight the good fight of faith, he's not talking about fighting people. He's talking about the battle going on within Fighting the fight to avoid, if I can just sum it up this way, avoid worldliness. In other words, avoid the things he's been talking about, the greed, you know, the desire to be rich, the, the desire to see godliness as a means of gain, the desire to um, go after other doctrine. Where the fight is, is on the inside of us. That's what Paul describes in Romans 7. 
the Spirit and the flesh warring against one another. So much so that Paul says, those things that I want to do, I can't do. and Those things that I don't want to do, I do. So, he's telling Timothy, you've got to fight. You've got to, you've got to fight on your hands. You cannot be passive. Remember God's words to uh, Cain? Sin is crouching at the door. And Peter's admonition concerning Satan, he's like a roaring lion roaming, seeking whom he may devour. You cannot be passive. The fight... Oh, oh, sure. You know, people will oppose you from from outside, but that's not the hardest thing to face. The the fight from within, with the sin that indwells us. Fight the good fight of faith or of the faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Do you see? All these are imperatives. Flee. Pursue. Fight. Lay hold of. He's, he's giving Timothy imperatives. Timothy, this is what you must do as a man of God. You, O oh man of God. You've got to do these things. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were called, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession. Tim, Timothy's a, a, a professor professing Christian. He's confessed Christ in the presence of many witnesses. What's left to do? Why does he need to do anything else? Because Paul is saying there's a struggle. The Christian life is a struggle. The word fight there is, is the, uh, in both cases here, fight the good fight. It's the word, uh, you've heard me mention it before. Matter of fact, I think it was in chapter 1. Uh, or Paul uses it, but it's the uh, word from which we get our word, agonize. Fight the good fight. It's a, it's a struggle. It's a match. Agony. Agonizing. Remember, Paul said, uh, we strive for these things because we trust God, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, on the eternal life to which you were also called. That's interesting, isn't it? There again, there's another place, as so often in, in, the, uh, in the Scripture, where you have uh, the apparent um, conflict, tension, tension is a better word there, um, between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. If, if I've been called, and Timothy had been called, if I've been called, why do I need to lay hold of eternal life? Why do I need to do anything? And all the way through this book, as well as the rest of the New Testament, uh, Paul seems to say, the answer is because you've been called, Timothy. 
You can't do it any other way. <laughs> Lay hold of eternal life, the eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession. Do these things. Flee the worldliness that would drag you down. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Man up, Timothy. No time for vacations. No time for laziness. No time for lethargy. No time for relaxing. No time for coasting. He's saying, man up. Man of God, you're in a struggle. And if you're passive, you'll go down. Or you can fight the fight. Pursue these things. Lay hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Well, we'll have to finish uh, <clears throat> this instruction next week. Um, but that's it. It's a life of running and fighting. That's the Christian life. Running and fighting. Running from sin. Pursuing righteousness and godliness. Fighting the good fight of faith. Incidentally, Paul said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. And that's what he wants Timothy to be able to say. That's what he wants you and I to be able to say. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for Your Word and for uh, these precious truths. Lord, thank You for Your grace opening our, our eyes to these things and empowering us to do what You called us to do. Thank You for the promised reward. Thank You for eternal life in Jesus Christ. Lord, enable us as we uh, walk through this world, as we battle uh, the remnants of sin within ourselves. Lord, enable us to not lose heart, to not grow weary in well-doing. Guard us, Lord, from selfishness. Make us pursuers. Pursuers of godliness. Righteousness, faith, love, gentleness. By Your power. For Your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.